Welcome to a text-based ARG Presents. I am Amigo Aaron, that's A-A-R-O-N, joined by a man whose vocabulary parser is only three words, the Brent. You know, making a not certified but mostly dyslexic guy play text adventures is not nice. You're dyslexic? Uh, I've Actually, I've never been uh, professionally skeptical. tested, but I, I have all the signs. From how I pronounce words to have my spelling and uh -huh. mixing up things like left and right. I, I those as are a all signs. deem you just dumb. So, no, no, I'm not. But that's the thing. What a way to start the show to I'm talk about dumb. your dis your alleged dyslexia. Yeah, you know, if you think you've got dyslexia, don't think you go to the doctor. No, it's well. Nah, screw it. it. The it, doctor. What the heck are they I mean, for? Because there's, there's, what are they gonna do? I've learned to cope with it, obviously. I, my guess would be I would use the old mallet. You know what I'm saying? Burn one of those wax. Maybe I'd get you. <laughs> Get your crap lined out. But I, I, I tried to enjoy uh, today's games despite my uh, setbacks. This all sounds like an elaborate ruse to me. No, so, that's very true. Seriously. I don't believe you. So if you were here last week, we spun the wheel. We made the text-based deal. And this week, much to Brent's delight, we are playing text-based adventure games. Brent, what's your history with text-based adventure games? Because despite all this dyslexia stuff... You've played quite a few of these in your day. Uh, well, solely text-based, almost none. Uh, well, I mean, come outside on. of Zork. Uh, now, stuff like Dallas that yeah. has some graphical aspect. And the reason why there's a huge difference in this is uh, games like Dallas have far more uh, uh, graphical representation instead of uh, walls of text to try to visualize a room. Uh, so that's why I could play those uh, with much more ease. Games for unimaginative idiots, is well, what I'm saying. No, That's I'm just he's saying. Trying. He's talking about like Dallas Quest, which we covered yes. on our uh, TRS-80 car computer show. Um, listen, you can't go by those pictures. Come on. You had no, to read the you text. do. But I'm saying, you, you could clearly, you had to read the text to get through those games. We played all kinds of stuff on a Coco that was uh, half graphics, half text. Yeah, I, I, I greatly prefer those. I yeah. mean, we both chose games this week that are 100% text-based. Yeah, it's Sex so, Adventure yeah. Week. We could just put graphics in there, otherwise we'd be violating the spirit of the wheel. <laughs> and you don't do that, that, that's no good. Yeah. So You saw one of his pieces try to get us last couple weeks ago anyway. Yeah, so you know, there's a universe. There honestly is a vast universe of, of text adventures, interactive fiction, you know, you use your own... Uh, verbiage on that. Sure. Uh, but, uh, and, and what I like about it is, but I, we had the choice. We could have picked things that were, have came out in the last year. There are plenty of people still making interactive fiction, uh, which doesn't surprise me. I, I would find, I, to, just to get an idea of what to play, I'll look through a bunch of lists, top 30s and 50s, and, and uh, there were tons and tons of those lists that were dominated by more modern uh, text games. Yeah. But I thought, you know, I want to pick something I've never played, and really, that's something I've never even heard of. Uh, and so, that, that was sort of the reasoning I went. I wanted something for, that was from the classic era. And I wanted something that was uh, uh, different from your normal text adventure, right. which I will guarantee I did. So, one thing, <laughs> I may, and this happens occasionally, but in this case, it wasn't that unusual. It's like, uh, we both picked games that were made and uh, produced by a company called Infocom. Yes. Infocom, their name is synonymous with uh, text-based games. You, in fact, you'd be hard-pressed to think of anything else when you think of Infocom except for the text-based Yeah, that's, games. that's pretty much it. So yeah. I thought we'd have a quick look at Infocom because I don't really sure. know much about them. And so I, I, I took some notes here, and I thought we'd go through them. So Infocom... 
uh, was a company out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm. Uh, they were at st- all. St- uh, they were people that worked or went to school at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology (MIT). Yeah, there so you these go. weren't idiots. They were out of the gate. Uh, they were founded in June June twenty second of seventy nine. Yep. All right. Right at the cusp of the, of the personal computer uh, uh, thing. So, Infocom were they were very clever. Like I said, these weren't idiots. And so what they did was they their games were written in a uh, what's called a Lisp like programming language called yes. ZIL, the Zork Implementation Language uh, or Zork Interactive Language, depending on who you ask. And so what this what they this gave them the ability to do uh, was to use they had special interpreters that could that could basically throw use these on like a multitude of different systems yeah. with a little uh, easy problem easy and, quick and, to translate and what what and this was key what made this particularly cunning was that once you interpreted once you basically moved the interpreter over to his new uh, new machine. Every game you release going forward, you just run through it. You don't, right. you don't So it, it's not like every game had to be recompiled. Uh, yeah, it's a game. Then, it's a game engine. It's it's a text based game engine. Yeah, it yeah. was very clever. Uh, another thing it allowed those guys to do was to release their games for a bunch of machines at the same time. Yeah, instantly. No one did this. I can assure you. And so you'd have, uh, for example, they might come out with a game that ran on the TRS eighty Model One, uh, Apple Two, the Atari, <clears throat> and the IBM, uh, you know, XT. All at the same time, yeah, and and it might come out the same day because it was easy for them. Yeah, of course it's text based. So the very first game these guys released. Now sometimes companies get out to a shaky start. Not this company. The very first game they released was the uh, famous, legendary. People still talk about it. Zork. Yeah. Zork one. Uh, yeah. Zork was a game that had, was an enormous sort of mainframe developed game. It was so big, in fact, that when they released, they had to release it in three parts. So if yep. you ever wonder why there was Zork 1, 2, and 3, it's because it's the same game. They had to split it up because it was so huge, which I thought that was kind of cool. The original Zork came out in 1980 on the, on the not the Coco, on the original TRS-80s, the Model 1s, the Model 3s. I mean, you ever, did you ever play with those much? I mean, I didn't play Zork on those. <clears throat> I mean, did you ever actually play, use a TRS-80 Model 1 or Model no, 3? No, no. They had the built-in monitor yeah. and stuff. They were, a, they were a pretty popular machine back in the monochrome monitor. Yeah, that was, I was way too young. Way too um, young. So they realized pretty early on that uh, text adventures were going to be a big revenue stream. Uh, so, and one thing they also noticed, now this was interesting to me, but it makes sense because this stuff lingered, is that text, these text adventures would continue to sell well well after their initial release. Unlike most yeah. games that come out, the, the, the Zorks and the, and the Enchanted stuff, they would, they would linger and they would, they would, they would stick around on, on sales charts. It's funny. I was never a big Zork guy. I mean, I played it. You know, everybody played it. Uh, but... It was omnipresent for years, yes. wasn't it? I mean, you heard about it yes. forever, you know, and it's because it did it, and you saw ads for it forever. I mean, well after, you know, it was re- it was released. Uh, one of the employees there, Tim Anderson, uh, said of the situation, it was phenomenal. We had a basement that just printed money. If there's <laughs> ever been a statement that would set you up for a major fall, that was, that was a statement. So by 83... Infocom was the basically the big dog in gaming, right? Uh, they were they had all ten game all ten of its games for the top forty uh, in the Ooh. in the week of December 12, 1983. Zork was in first place, and two others were in the top ten. So think about that when you that's like an album where you chart every single single yeah. and it charts the top. You know that's a that's quite a hit. You know how gaming is. Tell me, it's a you're talking a diverse bunch of people that are buying this stuff, but these games were hot. These text yeah. games were really really hot. 
Um, the company also, I thought this, I found this interesting, Bridster. Uh, the company stated that the year, uh, uh, in, in 83, they did a poll or survey, and 75% of the players were 25 years old or older, and 80% were men, which that sounds like a lot, but this actually put them... No, at, yeah. That put them at the top <laughs> of the field for lady players. Yeah. You know, which I thought was, I thought that was kind of... 20% female game uh, game interest is huge. Something huge. Else, something else that they mentioned <clears throat> I thought that I, makes sense, and I remember this, of course, is that Infocom games were sort of... Uh, and I, boy, I got a big double dose of this when I was playing mine this week. These games were not marketed or made for morons. They were made for well-read, educated folks. Right? Yep. And uh, what does that mean? Well, that means that's the kind of audience you attract. And so what? And almost all of them are also voracious readers. Yep. Right? Which makes sense. It's a text-based game. And so Infocom did what a lot of other companies couldn't do. They had their stuff selling in game, you know, game uh, stores or, or department stores. But also bookstores. Yes, and they yep. sold a lot of their stuff in bookstores, which I thought that I thought that was kind of kind of neat. Even up to their end, they did that. Right now, most of their games are just standard text games. They had very uh, they're very well written for the most part. They would also throw in a puzzle elements in them that you know that would be your pivot, the fun part of what we doing the puzzles. Sometimes they just put in wacky puzzles just for you know or Easter eggs stuff like that. They just had a good time with it. But they also, I mean. I've not played every Infocom game ever made because there's a zillion, but I've played enough to know that they're they're pretty clever, and for the most part, they were uh, very well written. And you mentioned Dallas Quest, and we'll use that as an example. The the uh, the chasm, the 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 uh, the canyon between Infocom text games and say Dallas Quest or some of the stuff we put into Coco is unbelievable. I mean, oh it's like, yeah, it's like one one is written for like. College graduates, and one's written for like, like kids in, in grade school. Well, and, and the thing I is, wouldn't and go I that far. And I don't mean necessarily it's written poorly. I just mean like the puzzles. Though, a lot of times, are like nonsensical. Yes, there's a lot of things that make you wonder what the heck they were thinking or stuff. I mean, Dallas got you, for example. You couldn't get past a bunch of stuff. And if we, if you played a lot of those old sort of, there were other competing text-based gaming companies and had text and. and your mileage would vary greatly. Yes. One thing about Infocom, for the most part, their stuff was quality, top shelf text adventures. I mean, there was no like the crap job uh, that were involved in these things. Um, Zork was the centerpiece of, of Infocom, as we mentioned, but the uh, there were plenty of other uh, uh, big titles in there. And we're, just to mention one is the Enchanter series, which I actually played that one quite a bit back in the day. And the good thing about Infocom is they really did branch out into a lot of different genres. You had uh, horror, and you had fantasy, science fiction. They had mystery, like detective yes. stuff, yep. which I think those were pretty cool. Uh, now, this I didn't know, Brent. I thought this was interesting. Uh, they wanted to attract more females, and so they released a, a, a series called the Plundered Hearts series. <laughs> a romantic novel? That cast the gamer in the role of a heroine of a swashbuckling adventure on the high seas. So you... That is as generic as you could. <laughs> romance novel of text-based adventures. I wish I'd picked one of those now. That would have been pretty entertaining. <laughs> so, Leisure Suit Larry was a thing. Remember mm-hmm, him? Mm-hmm. Infocom had to get some of that sweet adult action. But what do you do? You're a text-based thing. Well, now, I will say, I've played plenty, plenty of these text-based games that are dirty, like online. Oh, sure. There are plenty of door games that get, get pretty, pretty filthy. Well... Drug wars. Uh, Infocom wanted to get some of that action, but they didn't want to go down the sewer, Brent. Well, a place that you will probably occasionally dwell back in the day. 
So they came out in 86 with Leather Goddesses of Phobos. Remember that yeah, game? You no. Know? <laughs> Every kid played it, including you. Don't lie. Don't lie. You played it. It, it wasn't that bad. And I remember specifically, the uh, it had a scratch and sniff card with it. Now, come on, that's pretty good. Well, they had a, the Emigon was really famous for their pack-ins. Yeah. They uh, did they a sure, lot of fun stuff. They sure were. Now, uh, so if you're like me, you know, picture yourself, it's the early 80s. All right, All right. You're, you're dumb as a sack of hammers. Okay. And you get to a point where you don't know what the heck to do. That happened to me a lot this week. What did I do this week? Well, I just went on uh, Uncle Internet, took care of yeah. business, you know? Not in the old days. There was no Uncle Internet. There was nothing. All there was was Cousin Library, and he was a jerk. Nobody <laughs> wanted to go. So what, what they had here was, at the beginning, they had, a, they had a Zork users group that provided paper hint. Yes. Horrible yes. idea, but they made bucks out of that. It was a, so eventually that turned into InvisiClues. Now, these books were everywhere, the InvisiClue books, and they used one of those magic oh, the, markers. Yes. That had to, and, and you could, they would give you multiple choices. So, depending on how stuck you were, it would give you like a slight hint, then a bigger hint, and then like yeah. it would just say, Listen, idiot, do Here's, this. Yeah, here, this is it. <laughs> Type this in. <laughs> Uh, the Invisa Clue books were cr- super successful, and they were always near the top of the computer book charts. Which, of course, also back in those days, computer book charts are a lot less occupied yeah. than, than that. Now, I didn't know this either. I found this out. Um, they released some games under what's called the, kind of the Solid Gold on Solid Gold. Remember that show? No. Okay. Moving on. Anyway, so what the solid gold was, was they would actually put the hints, they would just bake it right into the game. Yep. You could just type in hint. I wonder if my game had that, because I didn't, I didn't try it. I should have. Yours did? Oh, yours needed it. My yeah. God. Um, <clears throat> now, this I thought was interesting, and it, 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 it jostled something in the, old, in the old brain pan here. Infocom jumped into the realm of bookery, proper bookery, all right? They released a, uh, a a bunch of, not a bunch, some of these Choose Your Adventure style interactive fiction books. Sure. And I've got one of these. I looked like Game Busters to try to find it. I couldn't find it. It's in, it's in my house somewhere. It's a Zork, it's a Zork based uh, game. Uh, these proved to be not that successful, although those Choose Your Adventure books were off the charts back in the day. I've got a whole slew of the D&D ones. I've got some, <clears throat> I've got a bunch of the original ones. We should do a show on Choose Your Adventure. But when you, when, cool. when you come from PC, making choices on the PC, where it's so diverse and there's so many things to go to, to a Choose Your Own Adventure book, that audience, if you think it's the same audience, that ain't the same audience. Uh, well, I mean, I like those Choose Your Adventure books I a do lot. too, back and, in the day. And one thing that they did was they held Dummy's hand, because they yeah. just gave you some choices. Well, yeah, it was just turning to page I, like, 53 I, I was to do Zork. this. They should have made a Zork for, that, for people that were lazy and dumb. It just Here's what you can do, kid. You could do this, do that, and then you'd be in. But they, you know, there you go. Anyway, these didn't sell that well. They were gone. But I still, like I said, I've got one. I, I wish I could have found it. So, here's the funny thing about this company. So, these guys are riding high. They're the big dogs of gaming, all right? So, you know what that means. Time to fall. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, their founders were were jealous, basically, of the Lotus people. The Lotus people came out of MIT, too. Right. And not, I don't mean MIT, the sequel. I mean, also. And... Uh, they came out, they found their uh, outfit about the same time that Infocom did. Well, the difference is, Infocom made about $6 million bucks, and uh, the people over at Lotus had made like $53 million. They were literally <laughs> rolling in wad. They had so much wad. And so, the people at Infocom was like, we need some of that sweet action. 
And who could blame them? You know, and in those days, it was still still sort of wide open. You get your shot, right? So, in 1985, they released a database product, Cornerstone. Now, I actually remember this. I know. This. Yep. Uh, and their gimmick was this was a, a database for small businesses. Yep. And so here it comes. They released. They worked hard. They spent a lot of the company's money developing Cornerstone. So, and it used some of their, like, multi-system tech, you know, yep. the virtual machine stuff. So, it didn't, It started out doing poorly, as in, it only sold 10,000 copies, and it that didn't even cover the cost of the actual making of the right. program, right? Well, what? why did it fail, right? Well, 500 bucks a copy. Yes. Now, Lotus wasn't cheap, brother, but that's still a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it's over the top. Uh, their, their kind of virtual machine stuff made it run slow, that not never good, and also they had no, uh, it had no like uh, program. It didn't have any scripting in it. Yeah, you know where Lotus, you could do some of that stuff, and so needless to say, it it, uh, it didn't go too good. It did and so, not. <laughs> so there you go. It tumbled and tumbled hard. It luckily, kept tumbling. <laughs> luckily, they still had their their main gimmick, right? So in nineteen eighty four, it was estimated that one point eight million home home computers in America. Out of the, uh, that's how many were existing. That was estimated. Mm-hmm. Half of them had some sort of Infocom games, and then the guy, one of the guys said, all of them had one if you count pirated games. <laughs> that's probably about right. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. So one thing that Infocom could do with their crazy, uh, you know, interpreter software was like make games for computers that no one ever made games for, like absolute wacky stuff, you know, <laughs> and and they would do it. <laughs> so they were one of the few, like for example. Like when the Mac came out, like they were the only people that had junk ready to go at launch. They were making stuff for the Atari. Well, yeah, it's a lot easier to do that for right. what they were making. Right, right, right. They <laughs> they would make stuff for real oddball, like stuff that wasn't meant to even run games. Yeah. Like, because you could get anything to work, yeah. so they, they would do it. So, unfortunately, so it's the early 80s, right? You're rolling. And 80, 89, and say not 80, 81... It, you don't. Everybody's on you. Well, yep. eighty-two. All of a sudden, here comes the graphic monster, yes. and he and and people are like, "Hey, wait a minute! Look, stuff on the screen! <laughs> yes. Holy crap!" And I remember when this happened. It was like, "Whoa!" Because really, text-based games that was mostly how you game. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. with any quality, and they were the best at it. Yeah, yeah. So they saw the writing on the wall, sorta. Some of the people there did. And so they in eighty two they started like putting out feelers to get some action, some graphical action. Okay. Now the funny thing is most of the developers in Infocom didn't like the idea of going with graphics. So because they like and I mean, admittedly, these people had honed their craft and they were the best. They sure. were simply the best. Sure. Right? So what did they do? Well, <laughs> they they came up with a new marketing campaign. So they they began a series of advertisements mocking and making fun of graphical games as graffiti compared to what the human imagination came up with. Now I don't remember this. I'll be honest. I don't so either. I, but, but that much said, it, I, it struck me as a, that's what a what a dumb idea. Short sighted and idiotic. Yeah. Well, according to this, the, the the campaign was successful, <laughs> and so and it was so successful that other companies like EA and Broderbund actually released some games, some text games. Which so, uh, but I don't know. That seems like a, a more a short-sighted yeah, maneuver to nah, me. So the problem was, Infocom still successful, still selling games. It's a bang-bang operation. There was one problem. They had created their own anchor. 
<laughs> their own cement shoes, and they were they were taking a dip in the pond. <clears throat> if you know what I mean? And it was that cornerstone. How apropos! This is the name of this thing. Cornerstone was was literally shackled to them. And they threw it in, and they were drowning. So what happens when that kind of crap goes down? Well, you know what happens. Bad stuff. Uh, so in right around 86, 85, Infocom laid off half of its 100 employees. Right? So think about it. We're riding high. They were just talking about how they were the dominant force. Bam. Half your employees gone. Yeah. Um, and then they were acquired. And the funny thing is, earlier, they, uh, uh, companies had been vying to buy them, and for big money. And they'd said, like, screw you. Well... Here comes Activision comes in. It's like, yeah, you guys are boned, aren't you? They're like, yeah. So they, <laughs> so they bought they bought the company in uh, July, uh, June thirteenth of eighty six for seven and a half million bucks. Now it's not all doom and gloom. All right, that's pretty doom and gloom, uh, man. The guy that ran Activision at the time was a guy named Jim Levy. All right, and he loved Infocom, and so his idea was they could put these guys together. And we can and we can properly maybe do some of the graphic stuff correctly and get these guys back in the game because Infocom had a huge name. Sure. All right. Oh, definitely. So <laughs> everything looked rosy until bum, 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 Activision fired Levy yeah. and replaced it with a guy named Bruce Davis. Bruce Davis not only hated uh, Infocom, he thought they paid too much for it, and so he sued Infocom to get some of his money back. <laughs> Pretty bad when that happens. So. <clears throat> After the back catalog continued to sell well, despite the fact that this guy, I mean, they were still part of Activision. Right. You know? When your parent company sues you, that's bad. That's right. bad times. So, <clears throat> Davis was like, listen, jerks, I need eight titles a year from Infocom. Good, top quality stuff. Well, Infocom was only putting out about four. Yeah. They're like, oh, crap. And so, they were having trouble hanging, basically. Um, and That's then insane. They also wanted to integrate graphics into the. In the he, they demanded it. <clears throat> the first graphical adventure that Infocom released was called <laughs> Foo Blitzky. Foo Blitzky. Okay? That's the name. Right right there. What's that tell you? Yeah. That name sucks. <laughs> I've never played Foo Blitzky. In fact, I never heard of it until I did look through this information here. Uh, it sucked. And plus. Well, using their crazy interpreter, it made it run slow and crappy. Double trouble. So, in 88, there were, Infocom and Activision were actively feuding, basically. Uh, they, they did not like working for Activision. And Activision was convinced that Infocom was providing them with crappy games just because they didn't like them. <laughs> it's just kind of funny if you think about it. <clears throat> it seems like suicidal to me. So, uh, in 88 and 89, things got worse. And so in 89, Activision closed Infocom. And so a lot of guys got moved around in, in, within the company. But it's like, you know, the big, it's just like any other merger. So a lot of big players got get to stick around, yeah. you know, and, and the rest of them get, get basically hosed. Uh, so that's when it's time for all these uh, packaged super. Uh, game, you know, the Zork trilogies and the yep. and the Infocom treasures and all this yep. stuff start coming out. It's when your re-releases hit full full time. Now, the funny thing about these, and Brent touched on it, one of the one of the staples of the Infocom games were the boxes full of cool stuff. Yes, you would get newspapers, you would get uh, bits of maps, you would get uh, you know pretty high quality items. Yeah, they called them out. feelies. Feelies. Uh, when you re- when they released these, I you know, cause I, I never bought one of these like. 
I never bought one of the the re-release versions. Mm-hmm. But I often wonder, like, how did they include like twenty feelies? Well, they did not. No. Oh no. So a lot of times they would any feelie they could get rid of, they just jettison that <clears> sucker. And then the ones that you absolutely had to have, they would even go to the point where you would just put a picture of the feelie in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It was it was all a money grab to uh to get the uninformed. Yeah. Um. So. Something else that Activision didn't really, didn't really believe in was continuing to push the old library of games. Because they were like, ah, oh, this ain't going to make any more money. And they were making money the whole time. Well, they stopped making money when you stopped yeah. pushing them. Uh, and so finally, uh, um, they released a game a game called Return, Return to Zork. And it was under the Infocom name. And then that was in Infocom. Activision booted the name. Yep. So there, that was it. A, a sad ending, really. How many games well, companies that we covered at the ending was very similar to this? <laughs> and this one, they made one screw up of just this cornerstone. <clears throat> well, here's the thing. Plus, I, they I, were I, probably doomed by they, time. They were, yeah. They were unwilling to uh, uh, advance technology with the time. And sure, they could have probably did, they could probably be doing text adventures right now for someone to some audience, but they weren't going to maintain their staff of of a hundred plus people. Uh, doing text adventures in, you know, the mid-90s. It just wasn't going to happen. I, I will say, they indelibly changed the face of gaming with their text adventures to the point that even, like, in a modern age, if you get, like, a a, a Kindle or whatever, they still have the tech to yes. play these things. Yep. So, they, you know, it's not like they went away. They're still quite popular, and amongst a certain crowd, they're mega popular. I see people all the time get online like, a stream and just get together with a bunch of people who try to solve these things. Yeah. Now, tell me this. Do you think text adventures uh, could have continued on if they would have not added graphics, but instead added voice actors to do your lines, to, to, to describe the rooms and stuff? I mean, people who are good at their craft. Someone that read the text to you? Well, it, it, more than just that. You know, put feeling into it, not just a computerized... Burp, 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 you know. I, I don't know, and I'll tell you why. It's, the one thing that Invocop did get right with their idiotic advertisement campaign is, like, nothing paints a, a vivid picture... Like the human imagination. Well, you've still got the human imagination It's not the, it's not the same. Like, uh, I'll listen to a lot of old-time radio. In fact, I just listened to some CBS Radio Mystery Network last night. And one thing you get from that is you, you're painting the picture mentally. It does, really, that means something. I'm not sure people, the purists in particular, could get, make this transition to having someone read the text yet. Plus, a lot of times they botch those. I mean, yeah, if you get it no, right, you, it's, it's a, easy to botch, so is my point. You know, you got to admit that. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. If you had quality, I think I would be... <laughs> Far more uh, likely to play something like that in a modern setting if it had voice actors doing the room descriptions and stuff like that. But then again, I enjoy book on tapes and that sort of thing. Yeah, if done right. You're old, by the way. Book on tape. Get that out now. It's book. The book is not on the tape. It just it's there. Audio books, man. So uh-huh. book on tape. We picked two games from the vast library of. <laughs> Which is again, we didn't know we were both picking info comics games, but it's no big surprise. No, it? text. I mean, when you're going with decent text games, this is all there is. So really. we're gonna we're gonna let Brent lead the dance today with his wacky, right. his wacky choice. Now, I will tell you, uh, I'd never heard of Brent's game. It's correct. And I, when he picked it, I chastised him for being an idiot. It's so true. There, there you go. <laughs> for better or for worse, I just want my stance publicly known. Go ahead. What'd you pick? <clears throat> I picked Nord and Bert. Couldn't make head or tail of it. See, I was sure this was something from the UK. I was sure it was. You know, and so I was wrong. This had a fat worm blows a sparky. Some sort of feel to it. 
this might go down as the wackiest title we've uh, covered. I, I mean, know. just by the title. Fat Worm Blows a Sparky. Okay, that's probably, that's probably more. Mm. So this got released, as you said, under the Infocom uh, publisher and developer and into their uh, ZIL engine, which made it available on Amiga, Apple II, Atari ST, Commodore 64, DOS, and Macintosh. Mm-hmm. Um I originally was going to review the Amiga version, but ended up playing mine on the on a DOS box. Okay. But it's all the same because it's text. It's literally all text. So the plot of Nordenbert is completely nonsensical, and it's nonsensical on purpose because the all of the gameplay is not one large adventure. It's actually seven adventures based on different types of wordplay. <clears throat> so, uh, the the when you start the game up, you have a choice of going into one of seven lands, and then uh, from there, you get a, if you complete it, you get a password that allows you to unlock the eighth land, which is the final land. Uh, the lands are called The Shopping Bazaar, Playing Jacks, Buy the Farm, Eat Your Words, Act the Part, manner of speaking, and shake a tower, with the final uh, mission being meet the mayor. Each of these worlds uh, have different wordplay elements that you have to try to figure out and piece together and clue. Uh, For example, uh, Shopping Bazaar puts you in a grocery store, and it might say there's uh, a mammal uh, sporting hooves, and smells like fudge. Well, they want you to say chocolate mousse. So it's that kind of that was that kind of crazy wordplay. Uh, playing jacks takes a look at uh, uh, you have a jack of all traits box, and the box does different things when you and it's a jack in the box. It has different elements. It does different things relating to the word jack. Jack knife, Jack hammer, that sort of thing. Uh, buying the farm is—it's <laughs> all cliche expressions, uh, like pig in a poke. You know, it's all farm-based cliches and the uh, the setups for them and trying to figure them out. Uh, and then it goes on and on and on. Uh, the game does it, it. The setup for the game is not elaborate. Uh, it doesn't go into the beautiful landscape that you're in. It doesn't talk about the characters you're meeting in any sort of uh, uh, high detail. It sets you up with a word pun, and it expects you to solve it. And each level of the seven levels will allow you to move around from three or four different locations, and uh, it lets you do that freely. So you, you have three or four puzzles you can work on at a time, but there's no, the progression is solve this word puzzle and then we'll give you another word puzzle. Uh, which makes, it's nice that you can choose between one and seven worlds because that at least, at least allows you to, uh, if you get stuck in one world really bad, you can just go away from it and go to a different one and work on that. <coughs> and it has the point system so you know when you're getting close to completing a world, and most of them are uh, between 20 and 35 points. Uh, the game itself, though, for a text-based adventure where you 
when I went to text-based adventure, I wanted to play this because it sounded different. And I love puns and wordplay. I really do. But there was no setup. This All the setup was to just get you to say the line. And it, it didn't try to work it into a story. It didn't try to uh, 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 have a good setup. It was just, here's your wordplay. Put in the right text that goes with this wordplay. Which made the game very, very dry. Uh, now, this was released by, in 1987. So this is way, way late into the Infocom years. And maybe they were just uh, sick of doing it. Maybe they thought, you know, riddles and wordplay would play out better than it did. But for me, it was a complete miss. Complete miss. Uh, it was just too bland to get me involved. Uh, it does have the hint system. You can type hint, and it says, look, if you do this, you know, you're a scumbag. And you type it again, and it's like, okay, here's the hint. <clears throat> and it has all of the, it has a list of all of the, the items that you'll be interacting with, for example. Yeah. And if you click on it once, it gives you a very subtle hint. And if you uh, click it again, it gives you a very direct hint. Uh, I got stuck over and over and over because some of the scenarios, it just did not describe itself well enough for me to get to even understand what they were saying. Plus, if you didn't understand the world you were in and the, the, the type of wordplay that it wanted you to go for, uh, like if you were trying to come up with cliches, but you were in the, but you were in the uh, pun world, you're screwed. You're never going to get there because those are two radically different plays on words. So I didn't enjoy it. I, I really, I thought I would. Uh, I tried to get into it. It's just, it was too much, uh, too much word, too much riddles. It, it, they should have just came out and said, here's your riddle, answer your question. And instead, they, they just, there was no setup. It was very bland to me. It was, you know, some people like to do the Sudoku. You know what I'm saying? I like Sudoku. Some people Tons. like to do crosswords. I don't like crosswords. Some people like to do uh various assert word searches and sure stuff. so there's a there's a, everyone's got sort of their thing sure and there are some people that enjoy this sort of wordplay stuff right now um i did a little research in this game and i found out that there weren't that many people because this game did horribly it did not sell well it did and, not it did not review well either and so when i sat down with it and i'm not gonna lie i was trepidatious because i i never heard of it but i did some research before i played it it's a tough one for me to comment on. I didn't. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't spend a ton of time on it. It just did not do it for me. And the uh, truth of the matter is, uh, this is not my thing. This isn't like you picked. You liked Zork, but you didn't like Letter Gods of the Phobos. The stories are wildly different. Right. This is something no, else. Completely like, different. I like Zork. What What the hell is this? Yeah. This but is, I don't like fishing. Well, but I mean, it's, it's that radical. What different. they did was, and this is a uh, uh, to credit them. They could have just done what you said, put some put some questions up there, some work. But I mean, they tried to wrap this in something. But it was horrible. Well, I'm saying they it was tried, horribly done. They tried to wrap this into into a, a, a an overall package that would give these games some sort of uh, you know connection. Uh, these various little elements of the game. Uh, but I, 
honestly, it's not when I when I loaded it up. It just it's not what I'm looking for in a text based adventure game. It just didn't do it. Now, the funny thing is, uh, text based gaming is perfect for this genre of of gaming. This wordplay gaming. You yes. Know? Yes, um, it's the I, only place you could ever do it. Yeah, and uh, uh, but to this extent, uh, it was it was difficult for me. Now it could be again. We we mentioned these games were not written for idiots. Okay. Well, oh, it was extreme. There are, but the, the, and that's one of the problems. Uh, this was past when Infocom used to say how hard their game was on their box. This was past the point where they had done that. Uh, but most people put this in the. Uh, upper standard, lower expert range. And and that's way up there. And that doesn't mean you have to be an uber genius. It just has to, you have to think like they want you to think. And some of the hints were so vague. Perfect example. I got to an olive tree and there was a waitress there. And, and after looking at the waitress and it, she was mad at me. So I handed her an olive branch. I broke a branch off the tree in hand. That made sense to me. I'm handing her the olive branch. I'm trying to make peace. She brought me a hum a pie. It was humble pie. I ate the humble pie. That made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then there were other things that were so left field that even with the hints, even with the this is what you need to do hint, I couldn't make the connection between what they were trying to ask of me and what they wanted me to do. It was just, it's just too convoluted. It's too convoluted. This does have a feely that comes with it. I was wondering. Uh, it, it has a, a comic book, a, a book of comics, not a comic book, uh, that has each land visualized in a comic style. Uh, sort of like uh, the comic style very, very much reminds me of the far side. Mm -hmm. um, I saw some pictures of that, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, I think that's a... Uh, that's a decent feely for something like this because yeah, what are you going to put in something like right? This? The the worlds they put you in are so nonsensical. It's the only thing to do is kind of comically put it out there. Yeah, but overall, I, I did not enjoy my experience. Um, the 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 engine is obviously great as it is for all these games because it's all the same engine. It just it just wasn't fun for me. It wasn't fun for me at all. I agree. Did did you see any reviews on this thing? Uh, yes. Uh. The reviews from Computer Gaming World, uh, they didn't enjoy it. Uh, they, they said that the game was, was not as complete as a lot of Infocom games. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't feel that the wordplay was equal to uh, uh, some of the adventures that you get through the other Infocom games. Um, Compute... Uh, magazine was a little more favorable. They said they liked the humor in the game, and there is humor in the game because you pretty much have to. It's wordplay, uh, but they also admitted that you know it's not going to be for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and Compute Gazette, uh, yeah, I remember those. Jeez, uh, I've talked about those for a while. You know, they say if you don't like the adventure games for Infocom, maybe this will be your speed, which I can understand that. And then Antics. I uh, reviewed it saying that uh, it couldn't recommend the game. The puzzles just aren't solvable unless you know what the, the cliche they're looking for. If you've never heard the cliche, them giving you the pieces, well, you're never going to get there. If you haven't heard the cliche, you're screwed. 
What do you think this sells for on eBay, Aaron? Now that well, you sat there and looked at the screen, I I I uh, I didn't look. I, uh, I I couldn't guess to be completely honest with you. I would say gave, I would guess not much, but this probably was a low seller. So there's a chance there's a rarity to it. You know, the boxed copies of this game for the Apple range between seventy and eighty five dollars. Yeah, for the wow. PC, uh, where I'm sure it's it's uh, sold a little bit better. It's down to the sixty four dollar range. And for the Commodore, where I'm guessing this did not sell hardly at all in '87, yeah. holy moly, a uh, hundred bucks. Can you imagine? You've got your Amiga, you're sitting there, and it's like, well, I guess I could play Hybris or something, or I could just load this up. And I'll just, I'll, or you know, I'll play, Dun I'll play Dragon's Lair. It's, you know, I mean, you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how far into the future that, that they went. Well, so, we, what do we have a user review on we this? We sure did. Our good buddy Graham W. Vepke, he gave this a whirl. God bless him. Um, while written by the same author as Ballyhoo, this game misses the mark on humor and focuses on puns and spoonerisms. And if you struggle with either of those or convoluted riddles, you will struggle with this game. Yes. To demonstrate what I mean, you will need to solve things like the worst brat is a clue for brat worst. The sold elf is your old self and you can't take the horn under a list of nine laws you need to possess. The horn instead because possession is nine tenths of the law. Yeah, these are all horrible. Obviously, Graham is well ahead of the curve on this. Well, thing. and that's that's in a that that whole world is uh, mixing up the clue the letters clues to make new words. Yeah, yeah. I hope this isn't uh, someone's first text adventure. Oh, it would gosh. turn them off for life. Play Wishbringer or a Scott Adams game as your first interactive game fix instead. Four out of ten. A very rare painting from the Graham. Uh, I, I think four out of ten is probably fair. I would. Although, although this is a hundred percent going to be, if you really like word puns and riddles, it's going to be higher. But the overall package, it's just not there. It's just not detailed enough. I didn't like it. I didn't either. I'm not, but I mean, I'm not. I don't think it was meant for me, and so I'll just say it wasn't my bag. So, so what did you bring to the table? Well, this time around, you know, as I mentioned, I was, I, I wanted to pick something that I thought would be interesting. And so I had played a bunch of the older Infocom stuff, but I thought I'd play something a little later in their catalog. Sure. And so what I chose, and trust me when I tell you this, I have no knowledge of this game beforehand. I, you know me. I picked Trinity. Uh, Trinity yes. designed by a fellow named Brian Moriarty. Good name. Uh, this thing was released on the Amiga, Apple II, Atari ST, Commodore 128. DOS and Mac. Yeah, uh, I, I I played, of course, the Amiga version because why settle for second best? Um, this was released May 9th, nineteen eighty six, and is of course interactive fiction. So <clears throat> I never heard of this game, Brandon. Did you play? Ever heard I had of it? not. No, I may have seen the box. The box depicts sort of a uh, orangey explosiony version of the logo. So what is this game? And I'm not going to ruin it for you, but I'll give a just a loose synopsis because it also there's sort of, it's sort of a uh, uh, it, the the concepts in this game are sort of uh, uh, abstract. Let's okay, go, let's go there, as you probably found out. So, Artsy. Uh, you begin as a lady spending a day in London at Kensington Gardens. Have you ever heard of Kensington Gardens? Yes. I, I, I didn't know anything about Kensington Gardens. I don't know anything about it. I've and just heard of it. Your character's flying back to the U.S., so presumably it's a U.S. Uh, citizen. And she's walking around these gardens. Now, I learned a lot right off the bat at the beginning of this because I didn't know what a lot of the stuff in the gardens were. They've got a word for baby carriage I'd never yeah. heard of. And I actually, 
my buddy at work is very well, well read. And he had no idea what it was. I had to look, had to look it up. And that was the first of many things I had to. Yes. Uh, I had to uh, dictionary on standby. Look at look up. You know, so that right there, it's like okay, this is not for idiots. So it the 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 tone the game sets right at the beginning is very um, interesting. And yeah. you know it's sort of a surreal game in a weird way because you're walking around these different scenes and it describes in vivid detail yes. what's going on in these gardens. There's a kid blowing bubbles and there's uh, ducks and you can you know, you know can uh, feed them. And, and there's uh, uh, all these people, these grannies, the grands pushing baby carriages around, you know. And uh, uh, it's big, and eventually you find your way to this big sundial, which was one of the feelings was this picture of the sundial, which I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but which all this sounds like a perfectly normal scene, but then it gets kind of like, for example, there's in that section where it says keep off the grass. If you get on the grass, the grass physically comes alive yeah. and throws you yeah. off. Very, a, a la uh, uh, Ultima. <laughs> there's a strange, um, there's a strange reference to like bad stuff coming. You know, yeah, you know, foreboding omens. You know, yeah. and you find little notes here and there that kind of give you a clue as to what to do. Get past this part. Now I'm not gonna lie. Just getting past the beginning of this was no easy feat. Now, I, I will say, I managed to get off this first section without cheating, exactly. believe it or not. And, it, and there was one thing that really screwed me up, that I, uh, and I'll just as a hint, it was pulling the uh, the thing off the sundial. It, it, yeah. And that was, did you, did you help? I, I did get that. And so, who would have thunk that? And it was a pivotal part of the whole the whole thing. And then it mentions it's loose. Getting getting across the uh, grass was something else that I, it took me a while to get. And, I, I, and it was frustrating. One thing about playing a game like this with a with a and under the certain time restrictions that we've got, it's this game requires you to sit down you and can't, really yeah. think. You that, know? It's odd. Of all the games we play, text adventures are the ones we do the least amount of justice to because they are not meant to be played in. Two or three or four or five hour one long session. Yeah, they had to be played for you know weeks or months. That's the way I would do it. I mean, but all the way back in the day, I would play it the other way. So you go through all this rigmarole, and then uh, as you're doing it, the bomb drops, right? A, 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 an atomic bomb, and you, a, you manage to get to the to a an area where like a pond, basically, and just as the bomb is arcing down, and you know things are going south. A voice guides you through this uh, mysterious doorway that appears, and then the game credits roll. And I was like yeah. to myself, "Holy God! It took me <laughs> hours to get here." And this is the opening credits. Now, let's talk about before I get into the meat of the game. Let's talk about the basics of the game. Um, one thing that Infocom did, and no one really touched them on this, was their parser, which is their the game's ability to understand commands that you type in. Yeah, and this thing. Was it well advanced than what I was used to? You could do all kinds of crazy stuff with this parser. For example, if there's a group of things you want, you can take you can say take all, and it just grabs them all. Yeah. You could say take all except this. Yeah. It'll grab it all. You can say go here, then there, and then it, it will literally let you stack commands. And it makes you feel bad for trying to use commands that you use in other games. Yeah. Because you'd be like. Look sundown. It's like, uh, do you mean look at sundown? Yeah, it makes you it's feel like, like oh an, my god! It makes you feel like an idiot. It's like, listen, I'm an advanced party, you jerk. It does. What it are you really doing? Does. Like, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was uh, nice. Of course, that's a save feature. It also has uh, uh, the ability to once you go to a place, it doesn't necessarily have to come back and tell you the entire scene again. It can just yeah, summarize. And you can turn this stuff on and off. Yeah, you know, I I I typed in verbose so I could get the because my memory was crap. 
And there'll be parts of this where you really need, it's almost like a map. Like, which, guess what I had to, I had to jump, again, this is another time. <laughs> Only on this show do I have to sit around map and stuff. Well, actually, occasionally on, I had to map Dungeon Master, for example, on, on Amigos. So, um, you, uh, once you establish how to play the game, then you actually try to get, so the game uh, is, is very well written. Uh, it is exceedingly well written. This was not a, a, a hack. This guy is a professional writer, there was no doubt. Uh, Brian Moriarty, uh, he he said he came up with the story in '83 for this wow. game, and he joined Infocom in '84 and he proposed it to them. They didn't think that he could fit it uh, in their thing. They didn't think it would work with their software. It was so large. So this guy then he went out and did Wishbringer. Uh oh, that yeah. was awesome. And they're like, okay, you're in. And so he began <laughs> to work on Trinity in '85. This guy didn't just like come up with a plot and crap. He researched the crap out of it. You could tell that from playing it. And I will say, um, I got up to the point where I was able to turn the sun down. This, not to give away the plot, but you basically that door leads you to a, a, a like a, some kind of mysterious zone where the sundial is still there, and you can actually use it to travel to different spots in history. Yeah, All right? time machine. It's time and, machine. Which, yeah, well, it was uh, sorta. And so these times in history are ba- are all centered around the the bomb, like different parts of history. And I'll, I'll just to read a few here. Um, you've got uh, uh, Nagasaki, 1945, Siberia, which is the, the Russian tests. Yep. The uh, any Wintok Atoll in the Pacific. That's the first. I think that's the first place I went. I think. And that. And, and so here you're on this desert island, or it's a beautiful paradise island. They're gonna blow the crap out yep. of it, you know. Uh, Nevada. And I, I got to only one of these places, by the way. So I'm just having, I did. So what I had to do was just in the interest of having been able to talk with this game intelligently, was I had to find someone. Believe it or not, there's a guy that does playthroughs of these, yeah. and I had to go back and skip ahead so I could at least see what happened, and so I could, you know, because I'd heard what it was about, but I wanted to make sure I knew. Um, so anyway, getting back to Moriarty, once he put this game down, he 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 had to research all these different spots. He had to research how the uh, the the, uh, the bomb stuff were created, and what happened there at the time, and he he's quoted as saying, uh, "Writing it wasn't a pleasant experience. I can tell you that. It's not easy to sit down and write that that stuff. It's hard to live with that game for a year." And he also added that Trinity is not a funeral, and don't be afraid of it. It's it's a dark game, but it's also I like to think kind of a fun game too, and I will say the game has uh, it's. There are parts of the opening and some of the other things you do that are sort of whimsical, and so they, but they feel very strange in this game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, once you know what's going on, it, you know feeding the ducks and playing with the babies and stuff. It, it, it's dark. It feels There's, dark. The game I found to be difficult, and I will say once I got past the opening credits. I had to get help quite a bit. And I'll give you an example. There's a scene where you come across a big log. And I doubt you got this far. No, I, didn't, I don't remember so, this. So, I didn't know this. I didn't even try it. But you can grab the log. Well, when you grab the log, it splinters. And then you're supposed to pick up one of those splinters. And later on in the game, you're supposed to jab the splitter down into this hole. I had no idea. Oh, gosh. Now, this is difficult stuff. Now, <clears throat> one thing I think I've lost... I, when I used to play these a lot back in the day... I you kind of get a feel for some of them, which I don't have anymore. I found it very frustrating and difficult to, to get through some of this stuff. Now, it's not as frustrating as other games where the parsers treat you like an... It makes you feel like an idiot. This one just... <laughs> this one just... It'll let you do the stuff. Oh, it, this one makes you feel like an idiot, but in a different way. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's... I don't blame, I don't blame the game. It's, it's just... This is a difficult game. Um, 
you mentioned feelies. This game actually came with some uh, with some feelies. It had a map. Uh, it had a cardboard sundial, which I actually had to go find because you need that. And it, with these odd symbols, it's got the illustrated story of the atomic bomb, which is in the guise of an educational comic book, <laughs> uh, which I, I tried to find this to look at. I couldn't find it. And luckily, I, someone sent me over a, a, a list of where all the feelies were, so I probably got to look at it. Uh, something else I thought was interesting, at the beginning of the game, and this may come into play later, there's a, there's a you're near a pond and an origami boat kind of comes yep. up, right? So the, the package also included how to fold an origami crane using this uh, the Yoshizawa-Randlet system, which is, I don't know what that is. It also came with a small square of origami paper to do it with. So you, you can also learn to do origami uh. while you're playing the game, which I think is kind of neat. Uh, in case you didn't realize that the game is basically a uh, it's a it's a play on the atomic age, uh, what what transpired uh, and what led up to uh, you know this. You remember this game was released when the Cold War was still hot and heavy, especially yeah. if he if he devised it in '83. It was bad times. Yeah, no, '83 is when he came up with it. Oh, okay. He and and, and so that was that was no fun. Now you weren't around. Uh, not not with any. Yeah. But I remember it in, oh, the, in the early '80s. Uh, uh, it did. It was not a happy time. I mean, it, we were right at it with Russia and people. A lot of people. I spent a good deal of my childhood convinced that we were probably going to get nuked at some point, yeah. and uh, and most people felt the same way. Well, you know? I mean, I, as people that I knew, uh, and and we figured it would be Russia. You know, that would that would do the job. We would presumably we'd do them too, good and proper, and we'd all be killed. So a game like this is is timely. Uh, yep. a, a very timely, and it's it's something else that's done in this game that I thought was very interesting was it's very poetic, and occasionally as you go through the game, a box will appear with a with a uh, a, a book quote yes, or a, or a Bible or verse, like that. and it that doesn't help you not feel it makes you feel uneasy when these pop up because you're like oh that doesn't seem good yeah it's never like it's gonna be a great day enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you're screwed. It was a neat little feature. Yeah. I like that. I and thought it was a bucket first. I thought it had shifted out of the window or something. But when it did it, I was like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing now. What, what I, I like that because it made the game, this game was well written and those little quotes dovetail nicely into what's going on. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I wish I didn't suck as much as I do with these. I probably had a lot more fun with it. Uh, it just, I could, I had a hell of a time getting anywhere. I spent, the good thing about this game is I could play it on my phone. I could play it on the computer work. I could play it anywhere I wanted. Yeah. And so I would I would swap between different you know, setups to try to crack it. Uh, so I got to play it more than most games, to be honest yeah. with you. But I, I, you would think I would have gotten a little bit further than I did. Uh, um, go with ahead. me, <clears throat> this game would be perfect for, for... Okay, let me back up for a second. I'm not a reader. And it's because I have to read everything twice to understand it, which makes reading for me very, very slow. Mm -hmm. um, because of that, and this game is a wall of text at points. Yes. I mean a literal wall of text. And it wears on me so quickly. Even things I love and want to know more about, enjoy, I have problems reading because it is it's so much it's a tax on my system. It really is. Uh so when I'm reading this very vivid, very lovely text, uh, and then I try something and it's not right, and I start getting frustrated, um, I fully accept <laughs> these type of games are not for me. If I had someone, no, it has nothing to do with 
with not being intelligent. It's just I my brain is is not wired in a way that allows me to read something one time and understand it. Um, so when I get to this point, I wish something would read it to me and let me follow along and then make decisions like that. I, I know that's not what these games are about, and I accept that. And I accept the games are just not for me. I'm never going to be able to enjoy them uh, as much as other people. I accept that. And I can't say it's a bad game because of that. But it makes me... I mean, the the text of this was beautiful from yeah, what I, from what well, I read. And very flowery and descriptive. Yes, and yeah. Nice. It, uh, Tolkien-esque in a way. Well, wasn't that the full okay, descriptive? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but it was, uh, uh, it, it was very frustrating for me because I knew uh, there was a good story here and I was not going to be able to enjoy it. You know, one thing, having played it, not played a text game for a while, and you're, confront, you're confronted with this wall of text, and let's face it, all of these were a wall of text, I can see the appeal of playing a game like this on, like, your Kindle or something. We've got it's a much easier thing to read, you know. And you could probably bring. I'm sure they have a thing in there where you can get that thing to read it to you. So that well, might be yeah, a way but to go. It, it's going to be a robotic voice, and that's that doesn't do the text justice. Well, they've came a long way with those things. So, um, this game was very well received, and it's sort of legendary. Which again, I, I didn't yeah. know. Um, in '96, Next Generation Magazine, which we both loved. I listed Trinity at number 100 in their top 100 games of all time. That's actually really amazing. Um, It also, uh, later the same year, Computer Gaming World listed Trinity at 120 in their top 150 games of all time. I played the Amiga version, so I went ahead and looked at some reviews of that. Uh, Lemon has this listed at 7.5 out of 10. Everything on Lemon is 7.5. That's not true. See, you sound like Boat. Stop ragging on Lemon. I love that site. Um, ACAR gave it 99%, and the Honest Game Reviewers, the Honest Gamers, gave it 4.5 out of 5 stars. Um, this this game, I will say, um, if you're a text fan, I think this is an excellent game. If you can wrap your head around the puzzling. Uh, if you were, I would not play this as my first text game. I think it's a pretty difficult, but I don't think it's extraordinarily difficult, but I think it's pretty difficult. Uh, I probably would move on to something a little more, uh, a little less abstract than this. I mean, this really, and the plot of this is just, even as I played it, I was trying to figure out what was going on half the time. I'm like, man, where am I? What's happening? And that's part of what is done as you travel to these different areas. And from what I read, at the end, you have a choice to make that effectively changes the end of the game. So, which I always think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Overall, though, I mean, as far as text adventures go, I thought it was, I mean, having played the ones I played, it was probably, it's got to be at least one of the top well-written ones that I've seen. And like I said, I like the quotes. I liked everything about it. The plot was interesting. And so I, I would uh, uh, give it the enthusiastic from up. Now, I believe we have a user, a, a right. uh, listener review. Graham also had a look at Trinity. Uh, and Dr- Graham was excited when I picked this, so you know yes. he's a, a fan. Trinity is so renowned and has fairly powerful messages when the yeah. game launched during the mid-80s and near the end of the nuclear power Cold War. The game starts, the game, uh, the story starts as a female protagonist visiting London on holidays and just before an atomic bomb hits the city, you seem to escape via a floating white door into another time era. You feel like you might be able just to do something to change history. You explore each era and solve puzzles to gain control over the flow of time, opening additional doorways, taking, to, taking you to other historic times related to warfare and atomic bombs. The final era is difficult, and the ending after that is kind of a letdown. 
but this is an essential Infocom text adventure to play alongside a Wishbringer and Planetfall, both of which I played. 8 out of 5, 8.5 out of 10. I'd say uh, uh, pretty decent, uh, pretty decent review there from Graham. And Absolutely. Uh, and uh, that's definitely Graham's cup of tea. Um, before we move on, I wanted to touch base real quick with our. Uh, uh, we have sent out all the prizes for our Amigo, uh, for our for the, for the Amigo here weight loss wager for the for the uh, ARG arcade decoration event. And we've heard back from everybody. Everybody uh, uh, seemed pleased, so we're happy. We do appreciate that. We've also had. Uh, uh, one of our good buddies, Steve Rasmussen, is going to shoot us over some more tokens for your token yes. project. Yeah, if anyone has any tokens or coins that they use to play old arcade games back in the day, uh, we'd love to have them. We're, we still need about, oh, quite a few more. Uh, well, The more we have, the more I can do with it. Uh, so if you have those and you're willing to send them to us, uh, you can email us at uh, argpresents at email.com. Mail.com. 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 Yeah. Mail.com. Don't worry, I screw up all the time on the other show, so if I uh, feel like I'm the real stud, i got it right. <laughs> uh, and, and we'll let you know some shipping information. Now, don't go crazy. Uh, yes. You know, don't don't spend, uh, uh, you know, even dozens of dollars to get these to us. No, but if you have a way no. to get this to us that is uh, cheap and effective, any coins, uh, old arcade tokens... Uh, stuff that you, you know you used back in the day to play your games. That's what we'd love to have. I love it. Some of us love to have a good spin on the old wheel. Let's yes. fire the sucker up. Now, Brent, this week we have added a real wacky one. We've got the Exidy Sorcerer. Yes. Now, I did some research, and I found out that, yes, we can, in fact, emulate the Exidy Sorcerer. So, That's good. Have you You'll have to sh- No, I have okay, no idea. Of Exidy. Yes. Okay, so this is the Exidy Sorcerer. So, that, if it comes up, we'll explain what it is. All right. I have no idea. This wow, that's a good spin, that man. That was a nice one. You did a good job. For a thick person, that was real good. And oh. we have something the people wacky. Always find out something wacky. It is pack in games. Pack in games. Now <clears throat> I'll explain this to the folks. This is a game that has come bundled with a system. Does this have to be or a computer of a system or something that could have been no, released after? Anything that is bundled with a console at some time, even if it was a game that you know, it doesn't have to necessarily. It was only available through pack-in. Something that was packed in with the system to help sell that system is on the table. I like it. That's like that, a, that's, that's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a that, great be one. Good. And by the way, we went an hour. So, ha, ha, I told you. I can talk all day, brother. That's why I got, why I got three shows to get it all out. <laughs> During the rest of the week, I'm completely silent. So, thanks for joining us, folks, for Text Games. I'm looking forward to this pack-in show. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, um, quick shout out to folks in chat. We got Amiga Bang, Bacard, Graham. Make it so. Uh, we got free lunch. Man, I could go for a free lunch or just lunch. I don't mind paying. There is no free lunch. Uh, <clears throat> we got Steve. We got uh, Sox McCoy, of course. Uh, Matthew jumped in. Uh, we had I Love Pinball. He really wanted us to play some pinball. Mm. I want to play some pinball. I love pinball. By the way, my good friend, my good friend Leroy. He lit up the whodunit machine last weekend. I lit it up. Played for about three hours. Good solid pinball action. So I, uh, thumbs up to Leroy. LSR Vlogs uh, made an appearance. Uh, Colin316. Alec Mold. Uh, Duncan Styles. Although he had to jump out early. Thank you all for... Uh... <laughs> Actually, there's two Steves in our chat, I believe. Steve! Uh, 
double Steve Trump. Thanks, everybody, for uh, uh, coming out. We actually yeah. had a pretty big live crowd today. Yeah, so that's always beautiful. awesome. Hey, that's great. So, again, next week, pack in game. Yes. And until then, boom! Hi, everybody. Welcome to Wack, 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 Welcome to Wacky Wack 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 Wack